Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Breakdown, Penn Live's Penn State football podcast. I'm Daniel Gallen, back again this week. And I'm joined by Dave Jones today. Are you uh, reading that? Did they, did they give you a script to read or what? I'm a professional, that? so I, I prepare. I, I jot down some notes in the uh, in the other corner, and you I got like, I got to hit all my marks. You sound like the student meteorologist on Weather World. <laughs> oh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I did want to be a meteorologist when I grew up. Huge meteorology school, though. I know people. I can make some calls for you, Daniel. <laughs> That's passed me by, but yeah. I got a I got a lot of reps in watching Tom Tasselmeyer on WBAL uh, in Baltimore. Who so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to talk some Penn State hoops today. Yeah, yeah anyway, well, you saw something up there Tuesday that we don't often see. Uh, we saw a Tom Izzo team basically getting out toughed. You've watched Maryland forever. Um, have you ever seen anything like that? I, I don't think I've seen it where the team that wins doesn't have that kind of transcendent player. Obviously, you know, you've seen Michigan State lose games here and there, but there's usually some some effort on the other end. I remember uh, my days right after I graduated uh, from Maryland, it was a lot of mellow Trimble making plays and kind of <laughs> lifting, lifting Maryland. You know, Penn State just doesn't really have that type of player. Um, and so no, it was don't. just kind of a... Uh, the the way that they were able to come back despite not having someone like that, I thought made it made it a lot more interesting and it kind of it snuck up on you a little bit more because it it wasn't one superhuman effort. It was kind of all these little things, a couple bursts here and there to to make this big comeback. Yeah, and while while Michigan State doesn't have a, a huge star, they've still they've got they've got about three or four four star recruits. They've got Christie's a five star recruit. Uh, Bingham, they've got guys who are supposed to be talented, and they were out-toughed. They were out-toughed, and they never have been out-toughed, very rarely uh, under Tom Izzo, I mean, which goes on forever. We're talking 20, 27 seasons. They haven't looked like that to me. I thought they looked soft. And Penn State, is the, the main point is that Penn State, with substandard talent to Michigan State, and substandard depth, depth without Greg Lee, won the game basically on guts, on balls. And that's not something that Tom Izzo teams are used to. He banned any players from the post game, which has never happened. I guarantee you that's never happened in 20 years of, 27 years of Michigan State basketball, even back before that with Judd Heathcote. 
That never happened. Michigan State's always been very free access to players. So that's how pissed off Tom Izzo was. And Micah Shrewsbury's team in the middle of February with very little to play for, let's be serious here, four and nine in the league. They were down 14 with 13 minutes to go, and they came back and grinded that game out, which I think bodes very well for the future. Nothing else going to happen much in this season with this team. But it bodes well for the future that that team with these players did that against Michigan State. I just thought it was remarkable. What have you kind of made made of this team from from where you've stood? I mean, obviously, you know, Michael Shrewsbury obviously knows what he's doing, um, and kind of like you've said, he's he's doing this with one of the the lesser talented teams in the conference. I mean, where do you kind of see the, I guess, the success stemming from in terms of, of that marriage between this type of coach with this type of roster? Well, the, I, I was talking to Brendan Quinn from The Athletic, who I've known since he was a kid at St. Joe's, who is in Michigan, and that's his, his – his, he basically has the Midwest for the athletic mid, Midwest college basketball and a lot of Big Ten. He sees a lot of Big Ten. He's around Michigan, Michigan State a lot. And he kind of assumed, because he doesn't know much about Shrewsbury, and no one in the Big Ten really knows much about Shrewsbury outside of Purdue people uh, or Butler people, that this would be Shrewsbury's style going forward. And I don't think that's true at all. I've, I've spoken to him a couple times, and he's just doing what's necessary. And that's what's cool about this. He's seeing the talent he has. Well, what's he got a lot of? He's got a lot of a couple of guards who can really deal in a kind of schoolyard way, and he needs to shorten games the best he can because the longer the game, the more the possessions, the least likely, less likely Penn State is to win. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to look for matchups with those guards that he thinks they're advantageous. If he can, he's going to get a switch on those guards till they, they can get somebody they can handle down in the paint. And they pound the ball, pound the ball. It's not real, uh, you know, pretty a lot of times, but it's effective. And it's what he has to do right now. They pound the ball, pound the ball down into the paint and then deal. And both Jalen Pickett and Sam Sessoms have been around the Maypole, man. They, they, they've been around and it's, it's schoolyard ball. It's, it's a lot. Of, it doesn't look like team basketball, but it's expedient basketball for the situation. And I think, I think it's beautiful in a way, especially the way Pickett and Sessons work. I've compared Jalen Pickett and his swivel moves. Now, you're, you're not even going to understand who this is, but Earl Monroe. He, he played, you know, I think he played at North Carolina A&T for, for Clarence Gaines. I can't remember. But, but he became a star, pretty much an unknown star when he, when he began for, I thought you would know, the Baltimore Bullets. 50 years ago, the 1971 NBA Finals, they were a surprise entrant into the finals against the Milwaukee Bucks with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Earl Monroe, Pete Maravich, Tiny Archibald, I think, were the three guys that changed ball handling from, you know, you could go back to Bob Cousy, but I'm talking about one-on-one ball handling where the, the swiveling, when you see Jalen Pickett, you see Earl Monroe. You see him getting a guy on his hip and doing the back dribble, doing drop steps, and then forward. And they, he puts them in the mix cycle. It's really fun to watch, but that goes back to Earl Monroe. That, that's what Earl Monroe was best at uh, when he played for the New York Knicks and the, the, the then Baltimore Bullets. 
it's schoolyard basketball, but it's what they got to do now. And he's not going to do that going forward. I think he's gotten you've you've covered their recruiting class. What do you think of that five man recruiting class? Have you gone into the, the video of any of those guys? I was watching the kid from Cincinnati, yeah. Evan Mahaffey, and I think he's really an interesting player. Evan Mahaffey will be one of the more interesting guys. They seem really excited about him, especially what he can do defensively. How would you describe his build? Um, I'd just say that he he's just long. Like it's just all arms, all legs. Like it's it's someone where you look at the body type and and you look at what Penn State has now, and it's someone that that they just don't don't have on their roster. He does a lot, both defensively and and with his he's he's agile. He he gets to where he wants with the ball, and he's got great vision. He's the kind of guy you build teams around, and I'm I'm very excited about him. Have you seen anybody else? And that recruiting class that of note or what? I'm I'm really intrigued by by the two big men, Keva and Jai from La Lumiere in, in Indiana, Indiana, the, and then Demetrius Lilly um, out of Lower Marion, outside of Philadelphia. Um, I think that you look at Penn State right now, and they just don't have a lot of front court depth uh, because you have John Hara and Greg Lee, and then you know if you can get something out of Jelani White and Giovanni Scott that's a that's a bonus for you but i think that the front court depth this year has kind of it, it's been pretty glaring um when Hera goes to the bench they they don't really have a presence down there and obviously he and Lee are going to be gone after this year so i think that that's kind of what it comes back to with me is being able to to build up that front court um, especially in the Big Ten where there's some some pretty big guys uh, in this conference and you have to be able to match up. So you I think say, that, that yeah. you know, being a, a big man coming in, it can be hard to contribute right away because of the, the – or there's an adjustment at least in terms of the physicality. Yeah, it's kind um, of like I think offensive that, linemen in football. Exactly. So I think that that's, that's something that bodes well. Um, for uh, for Penn State going forward in, in terms of building out this front court. Now, Greg, they had to go without Greg Lee the last three games. Micah Shrewsbury, the only thing he's really said is that it's not season-ending, that they're just kind of slowly, slowly getting him um, back. So I think it's a thing where you kind of got to operate like you're not going to have him, and um, if you do get him back, that that's a bonus, but... I think losing him was it's it's pretty tough, um, especially when you look at some of these these close games that that they lose. Where if you put someone in that can score like him and, and add a little bit of a difference on on defense, that can be you know a, a six point swing, a five point swing. Yeah, sounds nuts to people who haven't been paying attention. But if they have Greg Lee all mm-hmm. season healthy, we're talking maybe an NCAA team here because. Mm-hmm. Maybe they beat LSU, which would have been absolutely a scalp. And you really can rationalize they would have maybe won two of those last three games that they lost that would have been very close. But what are we talking about? We're talking about seven and seven in the league right now. And uh, with with a really good quality win out of conference, you don't know. But that's, that's the case with a lot of teams. People get hurt. And the teams with depth can take it, and the teams without cannot, and this team cannot right now. Yeah, it, it's the same thing where you look at that Ohio State game like a month ago where Seth Lundy missed it, and they they lose by five points. And he's someone where, with what he brings on defense and what he can do on offense, that's another one of those where at the end of the year it's kind of a coulda, shoulda, woulda, or a, you know, thing, things could be different. But 
given where they are in the schedule right now, I mean, the next four games, uh, you have Minnesota, Maryland, Northwestern, Nebraska, uh, four games against the four teams that are below them um, in the standings. And so in terms of kind of putting together the, the full picture of what this team is, I mean, the fact that if they win these next four games, which obviously aren't guaranteed because we've seen them lose to Minnesota already, they could finish nine and 11 uh, in the big 10, which I don't think anyone of us really expected uh, no. coming into this year. No, this, I mean, is a what, six, what, this is a, this is a six and 14 team talent wise. And they have fought for everything they, they have. This is the blue white breakdown. Welcome to cure leaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, CureLeaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at CureLeaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. This is an interesting question to ask you, and since, since Rutgers is doing so well, and Maryland, with Turgeon's, I don't know what you call that. It wasn't a dismissal. He basically just quit. Um, a departure. Yeah, departure, I guess. You, you, grew, you, you went to a basketball school where basketball mattered. Now it's fallen on ridiculously hard times. Have you seen the Xfinity Center? I mean, my God, it, it looks like a morgue in there. It looks like the Jordan Center now. I was I was there three weeks ago uh, for uh, my my good buddy Dan. Uh, we had his bachelor party in D.C. and it was for for part of the festivities, we started up in College Park to watch Maryland lose to Indiana. And I think it was maybe with five minutes left. I mean, the, the place was empty. Um, wow. We were all looking. We were all looking around, and we were like, "Oh yeah, this is kind of how it was when we were students." Because when I was there, it was. Gary Williams' last year in 2010, 2011. Oh, oh, that was um, and then I graduated in 2014, and we were the first graduating class since the early 90s to graduate without an NCAA tournament appearance. <laughs> I'm sure you're um, proud. Yeah, so uh, there are some some bleak uh, bleak times uh, at the then Comcast Center there. But, well, it's yeah, like, I mean, it's I like, think... It's like two trains passing in the night. These two programs. I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't know where this is going with Danny Manning, but what Rutgers is doing with, with Steve Peichel is showing what can happen to even a Penn State level program. I mean, it's not like football. It's not like the, the task that Greg Schiano is facing where you, you need, you need a lot of recruits in, in a lot of important spaces on the field. With basketball, man, you got, you got three or four guys. In two classes in a row, who buy in, you you can do incredible things. And people who haven't been paying attention, I don't know if you know, but Rutgers has beaten four straight ranked teams as an unranked team. That's the first time that's happened in NCAA history. It's never happened before. All of a sudden, Rutgers is ten and five in the Big Ten. They are a game out of a game and a half out of first place. They're playing Purdue. If they win, they'll be a half game out, and they would be tied in the loss column. This is amazing stuff. Rutgers is a really fun team. They're playing in that dump, that 45-year-old place that was built when I was in college. And 
it's an amazing story. But but to people who say that it can't happen at Penn State, well, there it is. I mean, there is there was no program in worse shape than Rutgers under Eddie Jordan, and that was six years ago. So it can happen. I mean, we're looking at it. They don't have an updated facility. They don't even have a decent facility, but they're embracing what a dump the rack is. I guess they call it Jersey Mike's Arena now. Maybe. But but people who say it can happen at Penn State, this is evidence. Uh, people have gotten on board, and it's a really, really fun team to watch. I think it can happen. But on in, in the other hand, Maryland's going totally the other way. Yeah, I, there's just a lot of things that just didn't go right uh, for Maryland this year, and I think that – they invested heavily in the portal and in some respects it's been, you know, I mean, Fats Russell, a Philly guy is entertaining to watch, um, but haven't gotten much about the the big man from Georgetown and it just hasn't really meshed. But the thing that stands out to me about Rutgers is that they're on this winning streak, getting these wins at home, but it hasn't been cheap wins. Um, you know, when they beat Purdue in, in December, you know, it was the buzzer beater uh, and kind of a, uh, I wouldn't call it a fluke because they were in that position, but you had the, the thrilling finish to get there. But I mean, Michigan state, they took care of them, that Illinois game. It was a pretty sizable lead in the second half. Um, and it's crazy that Penn state beat this team by 17, uh, a month ago. And it wasn't um, close. It wasn't remotely close. Yeah. This yeah. is the weirdest. It's gotta be the weirdest NCA resume I've ever seen. They lost to Lafayette at home. I mean, that's one of the worst teams in D1. They they lost to, to Massachusetts, which Penn State also did. But, I mean, come on. Uh, th- those are really damaging losses from an NC resume standpoint. They lost to DePaul. I mean, it's it's there's there's some bad losses. And just before they started the streak, they lost to, to the, the bottom tier of the league, Penn State, Minnesota, Maryland, Northwestern. They lost to all of them. They were left for dead. Three weeks ago, less than three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and here we are. They're not out of the woods yet. Is what I'm saying. I mean, they they their resume is such that uh, if you don't know anything about the NCAA selection committee, it's it's ten people who may or may not have been paying attention and may or may not know basketball at all. Uh, sometimes it's a it's a sort of a uh, it's like the college football playoff committee. It's a prestige assignment that these people who are basically a lot of career climbing ADs and college commissioners, they seek it out because it looks good on the resume. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to do their jobs. And if you have to, if you're paying attention, then you're doing your jobs. But there's a lot of times these people aren't paying attention and they can't eyeball teams. You look at Rutgers, that's an NCAA tournament team. It just is. But if you're going by the letter of the directives from uh, looking at resumes, and I know all the people who are in charge of this, Dave Warlock used to be Greg Shaheen also. I mean, they have guidelines that these people can follow if they so choose and make it a close. I mean, in the net, have you seen the net rankings lately? I I think Rutgers is probably still in the high 60s. These these are these metrics are what so many people. If you, if you have somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're doing, they're going to depend on metrics. Uh, whenever I, I see beat writers or young reporters who really don't they they don't have anything to depend on, they don't have anything to fall back on. 
they depend on metrics. Yeah, the Rutgers is 75 in the net still after all this. So usually you want to be at least at lowest in the 50s to make the, the field of 68 as an at-large. Northwestern is ahead of them. I mean, that's, that's the situation they're in. So they've got all these, they, they got six quad one wins, but they're not in much better shape as far as the net ranking than Penn State. Penn State's 85. I mean, that's the situation they're in. So they, despite all this, if the committee is not very good at what they're doing, they could be left out, So, which it makes them a fascinating story. And we've already seen so much happening in the Big Ten, and there's still a little bit less than a month until the Big Ten tournament is over. So who knows what else could happen uh, by the time we get to Indianapolis in, in mid-March or I think March 14th or whenever the um, March 13th when, when the Big Ten final is. So, yeah, I mean, what's your what's your outlook for the Big Ten just to wrap up? How do you like I said, it seems like it's been pretty unpredictable all year long. How do you kind of feel these these next couple of weeks going for for Penn it's, State? It's the wackiest thing else. I've seen. I mean, you could you could rationalize that somebody somebody certainly with five losses is going to win this thing. It could be like a three or four way tie, and that would be fitting at the top. Uh, right now, Rutgers is playing better than anyone else in the league. They've beaten everyone at the top, and if they go into Mackey and win. I mean, you'd have to make them the favorite to win the damn Big Ten. Uh, they're, they're, that would be evidence that they are actually and, – and a lot of the other teams aren't playing that great. Uh, Purdue is kind of soft, and I think they have question marks at the guard, at guard positions. Illinois just does some knuckleheaded things, and they don't seem to, to be about their business sometimes. If you watch the 70-59 game last night, they, they make – stupid passes sometimes risky plays that don't work and if they don't hit their shots they've got problems they can't just comp- depend on Kofi Coburn Purdue the same way they've got great big guys but if Jaden Ivey doesn't show up and score points sometimes they can struggle um, the best offensive teams in the league are middle of the pack teams I mean Iowa is liable to to score 100 every night but they can't defend anybody Michigan State we just saw is that is that a Big Ten champion? I don't think so. But you, as soon as you count out Izzo, he has a moment like this where he just goes nuts on everyone and gets totally outrageous, and all of a sudden they turn around in the middle of the season. I can't. I will not count them out no matter what because they have enough talent, and Izzo is the coach. So we will see. If you had a gun to my head, I would I would pick Purdue right now because I think they have the best balance and enough firepower, and I just don't trust Illinois' um, makeup. You know, they do too many dumb things. They should be the champions, but I don't trust them. And, you know, the, the team that no one's talking about has the easiest schedule is Ohio State. they got five of their last seven at home, and that can make a big difference. They have two really good players, and – Probably the the odds on bet for player of the year in the Big Ten and EJ Liddell. That could be your that could, I, I would I would make it between Ohio State and Purdue, and I'll I'll pick mm-hmm. Purdue. But who knows? No 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 <laughs> way you know. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat, but we'll see. Uh, 
Penn State is in a position where they can make some things happen against the kind of soft end of the season before Illinois and Rutgers. And so we'll, we'll see how things shake out when they go to Indianapolis uh, in mid-March. So thanks for listening today to today's Blue White Breakdown, uh, Penn Live's today Penn State men's basketball podcast. Uh, subscribe, Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube and uh, be sure to check us out at PennLive.com slash football. Uh, for Dave Jones, I'm, I'm Daniel Gallen, and we will talk to you again soon. See you, everyone. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>